Welcome to Series 4 of the Happy Saver Podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance in New Zealand, and on this podcast I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. You will hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are giving their tips and point of view on personal finance here in New Zealand. Now, personal finance is indeed deeply personal. So with that being said, this week... I talk about Tracy and I get a lump in my throat when I think about her, her family and the winding journey that they've been on together. 23 years ago, back in 1996, she had no money. She had actually less than no money. She was in debt. With a divorce still very fresh in her mind, the recent loss of her father, a failed business and with two seriously ill children to care for, she was at her absolute lowest point. Today, I tell the story of how Tracy found her way back and how she inspired me, and after you have listened to this, you, to cherish time over everything else. But before I get started, here is a quick message from today's sponsor. I'm excited to have Hatch supporting today's episode because for the first time, they make investing in the US share markets easy and affordable for Kiwis. Hatch is Kiwi Wealth's digital investing platform. In fact, they are 100% Kiwi-owned and operated by the Kiwi Group family, who are committed to helping Kiwis be as wealthy as they should be. Now Kiwis can invest in the world's largest companies and brands. Whether you are new to investing or have a ton of experience, using Hatch you can now invest in the brands you know and love, whether that company has been around a long time like Microsoft or is looking to shape our future like Beyond Meat. With their low, fair and transparent fees, no minimum investment and the ability to buy a fraction of a share, you can buy and sell shares in the likes of Amazon, Tesla, Disney and Bluebird Bio and exchange-traded funds from fund managers like Vanguard and BlackRock. Plus you can mix and match world-class investments to grow your wealth your way. So to easily invest in the largest share markets in the world, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver. Just 23 years ago, back in 1996, Tracy was sitting in front of an official assignee, thinking that the only way forward for her was to declare bankruptcy. When you can't pay your debts, these are the kind of people that you end up speaking with. Back in 1996, a whole heap of not-so-great things had happened in the few years prior. She had met and married someone and had two kids, both of whom were born with a medical condition of cystic fibrosis. Her marriage had ended and she moved back to the Hawke's Bay to be closer to her family so she could have their support. There she rented a property and decided to start a business using the $250,000 that she came out of the relationship with. She decided to start a business, one you may actually know of, the playground franchise called Lollipops. Well the concept was fabulous and she loved it for that time in her life when she had two small children because it gave her the flexibility to deal with their health issues and also to go to work. But the business failed to make the margins that she thought it would. It was seasonal, more people visited in the winter, meaning that she struggled in the summer. Plus, to add to her stress, her father began his battle with bowel cancer and he was to sadly pass away in 1996. Having the privilege of being with her father when he passed away was raw and very emotional and it highlighted to her what could potentially happen to her own two children in time. So she had been through a divorce, she had two sick children, her business was failing and her father had just died. And the stress was intolerable and resulted in a psychiatric breakdown where she ended up needing care in a psychiatric facility. It was all too real and she just could not cope. 
Tracy could see no way out of her situation. And I have to say that when she was telling me this, I was wondering the same. How much stress can a person tolerate? When she came out of care, she was on medication. Um, She was certainly not feeling herself and she made the decision after consultation with the franchise manager to close the business. She lost all of the $250,000 in equity and because she had signed a five-year lease and had other bills to pay, she had ongoing debt obligations. And it was this mountain of troubles that had her sitting in front of that official signee in the year 1996, aged 32 with two children, aged just four and five. She knew it was something that she really wanted to avoid and the official assignee suggested ways that she could avoid it. So she went to work and she went to her building landlord and negotiated a deal with him that she could pay him out of the lease over the next five years. And that really hurts to pay for a building that you were not even using. If you have failed to pick up on it already, it was a really bleak period. She said it felt very dark, but she knew that she just had to get to work and to just dig her way out of it. At that point in time, she had no idea of the good things to come in her future. She was at her lowest point and about to begin the long climb back. And when I read back over the emails we exchanged and reflect over the conversation we had, Tracy is a pragmatist. She has faced huge obstacles that brought her to her knees. But remarkably, each time she finds the strength within herself to look up, to look ahead and to start moving in that direction, just one step at a time. About a year after this, she was to meet and marry Kevin. She'd come a long way on her debt, but she still had a net worth of negative $15,000. He had also come out of a relationship and a failed business, also had two children living with him, who were just a couple of years older than Tracy's. Uh, He was also renting, but he now had a good job and a net worth of exactly zero. (laughs) They were independently and now collectively on the bones of their asses, and they started from scratch. Looking back, she said she feels that both of them losing their businesses was actually their greatest financial flop. However, it is the experience from which she has learned the most, that's for sure. Plus, it taught her a huge lesson in humility. They combined the scraps of their finances and their vision of what they wanted their blended family to be. They wanted to ensure that the two families could work together, so from the outset they wrote wills and they established a family trust that would take into account that they each had children who had other parents. They wanted to ensure that if either of them died, that all the children were taken care of. And because they decided that four kids were not enough, they actually had another two together, making a beautiful whānau of eight. Tracy has always been interested in technology and is one of the first 500 subscribers to Trade Me. Her business brain surged into gear again. Right at the start of Trade Me and eBay, she started purchasing antiques and selling them online to both New Zealand and overseas customers. And she would source product at local auctions and she found she was excellent at discovering a small niche product whose value was low in New Zealand. And Viewmasters, if you remember those, were one example that she gave me and selling them for more in the US where their value was much higher. Another example was the Xena Warrior Princess craze. Of course, the lead actor Lucy Lawless is a Kiwi, so she sold New Zealand stuff into the US market via eBay and then direct to the collectors themselves. Today we would call it a side hustle and it grew to the point where it was taking up all of her spare time. So she went all in and she did it full time for an 18 month period before she sold her little business with its established clientele to someone else. She said she didn't sell it for much but it was a confidence building exercise and it encouraged her that she could start something from scratch. Her husband Kevin was working full-time as well and they had started saving to buy their first house together and in 1999 they ended up buying a 1.5 hectare plot of land 
that they would build a house on in the future. And it took two years of working with a very slow architect, but during those two years, they saved as much money as they could. And they also established the ground with the driveway and putting in the trees for the eventual house build. And they finally moved into their new home in 2003. And because the land value had gone up, they had already begun to build up a bit of equity. During those years, Tracy was not working in a paid sense, but she was spending a lot of her time campaigning for funds for Cystic Fibrosis New Zealand. Her children had high health needs and she became a passionate advocate for the cause. She was instrumental in getting Cystic Fibrosis as the official charity for the Ironman New Zealand event, which, get this, she also competed in and she also then went to the Ironman champs in Hawaii in 2004. She set up a business called Fundraise Online, which was a precursor to Give a Little. But at the time, this was the only online fundraising platform in New Zealand, and she used it as a donation-capturing mechanism for not just her as an athlete, but for any athlete to be able to fundraise for cystic fibrosis. And then she turned it into a place where any athlete could focus on any charity of their choice, as long as it was an official charity, and there were all sorts of different events taking place. And this grew, and she sold out to her partners in around 2006, and went on to do some public speaking roles, which probably explain why when I I spoke to her, she was able to articulate her journey so well to me. A constant theme that had been present in their family was that now is better than one day. Cystic fibrosis is a life-limiting disease and they will never know when that day will come. So it is better to live and enjoy every day right now. And they made the decision that as a whole family, they wanted to experience living overseas for a three-month period while all their children were still living at home. By this stage, the oldest was 16 and the youngest was four. They had to choose a child-friendly country to visit, one which had major hospitals that they could afford to go to, and they could not go to a third world country because of the risk of infection to two of their children. Thereby, by a process of elimination, they settled on Spain, and her husband took a sabbatical from work, and they went and they lived in a little village in Spain, and she said, live like the locals. Although it was expensive, for sure, they had an incredible and memorable experience as a whole family, and Tracy and her husband were able to spend time together talking and planning. And by this stage, Kevin had been in his job for 12 years. Tracy explained that it was a very seasonal role, extremely busy between the months of December and June, meaning that he missed out on a lot of time with the kids, particularly over those summer months. He decided he didn't want to miss out on the coming years, and when they came home to New Zealand, he actually handed in his notice. They had decided that they wanted to start a business together, having no idea what that business would be. The only money they now had was equity in their house and some cash. It was tens of thousands of dollars, but that was all. Now these two, they are very good planners, and they made a list of what they didn't want in a business. They didn't want retail or something that requires them to open the doors five to seven days a week. No motels, no hospitality. They looked around for businesses for sale with a very open mind as to what it might be, and ironically, given her first business experience, a franchise opportunity came up. In 2007, they bought the rights to operate the Cleantastic franchise system in New Zealand, a commercial cleaning franchise that had already been in operation in New Zealand for about 12 years, so had developed a good track record. The franchise also operated in Australia and the United States, and they paid royalties to the owners, but had seven regional people underneath them, which covered 150 franchisees, all carrying out commercial cleaning and all paying royalties to them. Their long-term plan was to improve and modernise the business and sell and move on in five to seven years. To purchase it, they used the equity that they'd built up in their house and they took on a total debt of $950,000. Now, her husband's view on debt is that once you have made the decision to take on an amount of debt, 
the number is almost immaterial. So whether you borrow 50,000 or 5 million, it does not matter. There are no scales of bankrupt, he said. Tracy does not necessarily agree with this, but this is where she points out that their different personalities work so very well together. She was more focused on making sure that any debt they took on was not just serviceable, but easily serviceable. They knew that they could service this debt and draw an income for themselves as well. And she was very clear to point out that she could not have done this without her husband. And the fact that they have opposing skills works extremely well for them. And it has been their strength. She is the numbers girl and he is the doer. And she said that the combination of their strengths has led to what she considers her biggest financial triumph the ability to back themselves and their capability and work ethic and how they get and create opportunities and have the balls to pick a path and take it, irrespective of the perceived risk. That's a real strength to them. In 2007, when they bought the business, the first thing was to look at the seven regions as they felt that they could do that role without losing royalties as it filtered through the system. And over the next couple of years, they centralised business functions into head office support and they stripped out huge amounts of royalty payments. One regret of Tracy's was that she had not gone to university when she left school. Her parents could not afford to send her and in all honesty she said she probably didn't have the drive to go anyway. So she actually began to study extramurally via Massey University. She said it's a very lonely road to study online because it's all down to you and you have to have a greater reason for doing it. And for her it was like unfinished business and knowing that she had the capability of doing it and that she needed to get that monkey off her back And she did it, not for the sake of a grade, but because she really wanted to learn the material that she was studying. And it took her 10 long years, but she graduated in 2016 with a major in accounting and a minor in entrepreneurship and small business management. And she thrived and she did really well, like really, really well, being awarded as a Massey Scholar, which means that she finished in the top 2%. Many things tried to get her to put down the books. She was running a business, she had six kids, but she just chipped away at it over the years, one paper at a time, and she persevered, and finally she succeeded. Now their initial plan was to sell out Cleantastic in 2012, but as that time approached, they could not work out whether to stay or whether to go. Selling the successful business and finding another meant that they ran the risk of a new business not being as profitable. But she said, if you look for change, change will find you. And in 2011, her oldest child chose to go to university up in Auckland. Now for Tracy, she had always made it clear to her kids that there would always be the opportunity, but not the expectation, that they could go to uni and that she and her husband would help them do this. So for each child, they had put them through the best schools that they could find for them and offered them every opportunity by investing heavily in the education. And with further study, they wanted to offer the same. But there were strings attached. For the first year, they paid for their hostel or their accommodation. In the second year and onwards, the child was expected to get a job and work and support themselves. Each holiday, they were expected to work. They didn't want to participate in their kids just going off to uni for a good time, but they would pay for every paper they passed towards a completed degree. If they failed a paper or switched courses, then that was on them, and this had been spelled out to them in the very beginning. She wanted them to set a goal and achieve it and to understand the implications if they didn't. The child would have to take on the interest-free student loan in their own name to cover their course costs. When they finished their study with a completed degree and got a job, then they would start having payments deducted from their salary as is New Zealand law. Then Tracy and her husband reimbursed those exact amounts to the child. Student loans are, of course, interest-free here in New Zealand, so her view is that there is not a lot of point in paying for them up front. And over the course of the next few years, the loan was paid down by the child's salary deductions and paid back to him or her by Tracy and her husband. 
One son decided after a few years of working to go overseas, which meant that after six months of being away from the country, he would start to incur interest. So at the six-month mark, they stepped in and they paid the remainder of the loan off. She saw this process as an investment in them. This structure allowed them to still take advantage of student loans and it gave them a huge educational experience as well. And for her it meant that she left money sitting off to the side, earmarked for education, but it didn't start to get used until the course was finished. So her money continued to grow and she said that the surprising thing was that by the time it ends they are likely to still have money left over for themselves. This seems like an ingenious plan to me. But this is just a practical example of how they have made each of their six children financially literate for their own futures, something that has always been a big focus for them over the past 20 years. Other examples she used was that once they turned 13, each child was given a clothing allowance that they had to manage themselves. It was paid to them twice a year on Easter and Labour weekends, and from that they had to buy their own clothes and shoe purchases, except for school uniforms and a couple of other exceptions. She said they very quickly worked out how to stretch their budget. Would they buy brands or no brands, new versus secondhand, quality clothing versus crap fast fashion? When it came to purchasing their first car, this was entirely up to the child to finance it themselves. If they have a vested interest in it, they will look after it, she said. And she also said that all of their children are very entrepreneurial. They all have side hustles and businesses, with three of them being self-employed. Each has their own investment wealth building strategies that they have implemented, even the 17-year-old who was still at school. And throughout their journey, they have always been very transparent with their children about all things financial, including their wills, their trusts, their property investments, and what have you. They always knew that this would not be taught in schools, and they wanted to do well by their kids and invest in their financial education by way of positive role modeling and by setting a really good example, because they know that it will pay off for future generations. But back to when their oldest child first expressed an interest in going to uni. Well, they went up to Auckland and began looking for a suitable student apartment, but the places they were viewing were incredibly expensive, mouldy, dated, cold, worn out and above all, unhealthy, and they could not bring themselves to let her move into that kind of environment with her health conditions, at which point a friend suggested to them buying an apartment. They found a two-bedroom apartment with a car park in Auckland, close to the university, for $350,000. She would be able to get a flatmate, or they could stay when they visited the city, and when she moved out and on with life, well, they could rent it. The bank offered them 100% finance, which Tracy didn't feel confident about at all. But when they ran the numbers, the apartment was cash flow positive, even with the mortgage and the rates and the body court fees. So the question actually became, why would they not buy more? This was the first housing purchase and it led them into running the numbers on having more. Using the same agent who had helped them secure the first apartment, over the next two years they purchased seven in total, each in different locations around the city, both with and without car parks, but all located near the university or the hospital. Their target market was young professionals who work in and around the city who are looking for a long-term housing option. As they purchased each one, Tracy would go in and repaint and refurbish it, repairing and updating and upgrading as appropriate, and they always rent them out as fully furnished. Each apartment was freehold, not leasehold. Each had a full kitchen. All have opening windows and balconies, and they wanted to provide a nice home for their tenants, and as a result, they have very few vacancies. By 2013, they had taken $170,000 out of the business and put down 10% deposits on each of the seven apartments and taken on $1.5 million of lending, with each house having a 30-year mortgage. 
Although she got the bank to agree, quite easily, I would imagine, to a 30-year mortgage term, she actually controlled the levels of repayment. She shorted up all the mortgages, so they were all principal and interest mortgages, and if an apartment was producing an extra $300 a month, she made sure that the mortgage could absorb the use of that. And as the mortgage rates went down, she would refix each mortgage for another 12 to 18 months, and she also kept increasing the payments that they were making. So as the rents increased, she again increased the mortgage payments. They also took the view that as they had their incomes coming from the business, then they would pay for any apartment repair from their own money, because most issues were never more than a couple of thousand dollars at a time. And this enabled them to pay all of the debt down as aggressively as they possibly could, always knowing that because of the 30-year mortgage term, they could back off if they needed to. While all of this was going on between 2011 and 2013, they were still trying to decide what to do with the business. They essentially owned all of New Zealand by now, but they were paying royalties up the chain. They came up with the crazy idea to buy out that bloke that was further up the chain, and next time he came to New Zealand from the US, they spoke to him and he said, go on then, yes. So they took on even more debt, another $1.6 to buy the next level of business, but it gave them complete ownership of the entire system and it stopped the leakage of cash paid out for royalties. Remember what her husband said about taking on debt? Well, they were all in this time, but they also knew that because the business was running so well, they could service this debt with ease. So they gave themselves another five years of managing this business and they told themselves that between 2018 and 2020, they would exit the business somehow. She has a firm view that whatever you enter into, you have to know how you're going to get out. And this relates to anything that you do in life, whether it be a job, debt or an investment. Nothing is permanent and life changes constantly. You have to have exit strategies. Their exit strategy was that by the time their five years was up, there would be enough equity in the business to sell and clear all remaining debt. It would also coincide with their youngest child finishing school and leaving home. And they had always told their children that the plan was to also sell the family home and downsize to something smaller, worth half the value of the large family home that they had built. And they called this their 2020 vision. They could see clouds brewing where the health of her two children were concerned. During this whole process, her two children who live with cystic fibrosis always had precarious health um, and by 2017 it became obvious that their health was deteriorating and that they were heading into some tough times and some rainy days. They continued to aggressively pay down the mortgages on all of their properties and by 2017 they began the process of preparing their business for sale. They documented all processes, made sure each staff member had clear job descriptions and they got all the legal stuff done. And in mid-2017 they used a business broker to approach competitors to see if there's anyone who wanted to buy them out. And there were offers but they were too low and they realised that they ran the risk of losing customers and franchisees if the business was not perfectly set up to sell. Plus Tracy's attention was rightly so being focused far more on her children rather than on the business. In August 2017, her daughter needed her up in Auckland and she went up there for what she thought would be a couple of weeks, but it ended up being a 13-month stay during which her daughter had deteriorated very quickly and was assessed for a double lung transplant. Now during this 13-month period, not one but both of her children, her son and her daughter, underwent the physical process of being ready for surgery and both underwent double lung transplants. And I can only imagine what that must have been like. Tracy described managing through that time as simply huge. No words really. It was an extremely stressful time and although they had a high net worth, cash flow was tight. 
Tracy had stepped away while Kevin stayed home to run their business, be both mum and dad to their kids, and keep life as normal as possible at home. But they knew that getting through this together was something that was in their plan, and it was something that they had been preparing for. She had always wanted to, and she knew that she just had to walk with her children in their hours of need, and she saw this as a privilege to be able to do so. Now both children came through, and in September 2018, she returned home to the Hawke's Bay. And they then sat down as a couple, and they said, this business has to go. They had reached their tipping point. The silver lining in all of this was that in her absence, many staff had stepped into the roles that she had vacated, and she had made herself superfluous and showed that the business could operate with someone being less hands-on. They went all in on making the business attractive to a buyer, and by February 2019 they had found a buyer, and settlement was April the 1st, 2019. It was actually at this time that Tracy sent me an email saying that she had listened to all of my podcasts and that from every single one she had learned or picked up on something that they had then incorporated into their own journey. So for all the people I approached who said that they had nothing useful to offer but then graciously shared their stories with me and my audience, please know that it's appreciated by so many others. Tracy was writing to tell me that on this day, the 1st of April 2019, they had officially reached financial independence by having enough passive income and money set aside to retire early, or to put it another way, to make work optional, both at the age of 54. Now you could imagine that hearing this absolutely made my day, and it still does if I'm honest. So what did they do on April the 2nd? Well they paid off their own home in full, they immediately paid off all business debt in full, there was a significant amount of money left over and there was a considerable amount of debt left on their Auckland properties. So they went and sought some financial advice about what to do. They were advised to put their money in the markets because you could make good money that way, and each financial advisor was trying to sell them different products, services, and strategies, all of which involved them earning a fee, of course. But they really both felt like they just wanted to remove all of the stress that comes from servicing debt and to be able to sit from a position of strength for a period of time and just not have to deal with banks for a change. The fragility of life had been forced on them again after having to watch what had happened to their kids. Her own father had passed away, aged just 55, just one year older than she is now, and he never got to spend time with her mum and enjoy the third part of his life. They thought long and hard about when is enough. When do you say, I'm going to stop accumulating, acquiring, pushing and driving? And this is a theme that came up a number of times in our conversation. When is enough enough? So after seeking advice and talking with each other, they just sat with it for a time and it became incredibly clear that life is about living and not just about accumulating. She told me that Charlie Brown, the cartoon character, said, We only live once, Snoopy, to which Snoopy replied, Wrong, we only die once, we live every day. Life, they decided, is way more precious than money. You can always get more money, just go to work, but the one thing you cannot get more of is time. You just don't know how long you have to go. Her father had died, her children came so close, time is precious and precarious. So they made the decision to stop the pursuit of more money, and they made the decision to not invest that money in the markets, but to instead pay off every single mortgage on their investment properties. Tracy said that paying off the mortgages was anticlimactic, a comment that I often hear. Uh, she laughed when she said that she did expect a few bells and whistles from the bank, but no, nothing. On April 1st, they also both stopped receiving a regular salary, so they never really felt the benefit of having their salary come into their bank and having no payments go out. She actually sat down and had a look at the mortgage numbers from the last couple of years. The total purchase price of all of these seven properties was $1.7 million, 
Of this, there were mortgages of 1.5 million. They were all purchased between 2011 and 2013 and all paid off by 2019. So they had owned them between six and eight years. And during that time, they had paid out $444,598 in interest alone. Now she knows that the rent easily paid for this and that the interest was actually tax deductible, but she made the comment of you're effectively paying out a dollar to get 28 cents back again. And I guess that in the end she found that the best way to minimise interest costs is to just pay none, right? But they now have regular income coming in from seven fully paid for apartments. They have purchased a home in Hawke's Bay that they said to their children they would. It is a third of the size of their older home that they had lived in for 16 years. It's also worth half the value and they will move in at the end of the year. Currently Tracy's days are spent getting the family home ready for sale, remodeling, landscaping and all the things that go with selling a house. And another thing they did once the business was sold was that they took all their children on a family holiday, one that they'd been saving up for in advance. But other than that, when I asked her what was the most extravagant thing that she had purchased for herself in the last 90 days, she said, wait for it, nothing. (laughs) She said they have really hunkered down on getting their current house finished and ready for sale. And in many ways, they're living more frugally than they ever have before. And right at this point in time, Kevin is driving the Toyota People Mover that they acquired when they bought the business so they could ferry all the kids and all their friends about. It has 480,000 kilometres on the clock and it is still going strong. She is driving one of their daughter's cars, a beat up old Corolla, and there are no plans to upgrade. And they know for sure that if they do, they will never buy new. The trick, she said, is that we just don't care. Now, we didn't really get to talk about other investments and the likes of that. Honestly, I could have spoken for many more hours because she is just so interesting. But I did ask, I assumed actually that they were in KiwiSaver. And yes, both her and Kevin joined when it first began in 2007 and they decided to compete with each other from the get-go. They both selected the provider that they wanted to go with and because they drew exactly the same salary and had exactly the same contributions, over the next 12 years they compared their fund balance every three months or so. And it's an ongoing battle between them. He started with Gareth Morgan and then switched to Milford Asset. She has stayed with Fisher Funds the whole time. Both are in aggressive funds. Currently, she is leading by $800, but there are times when there has been up to a $4,000 difference. And it's really interesting to see such a direct comparison after all these years. And they are more similar in balance than I actually thought they might have been. This leads into her three main financial habits, the things that she just automatically does. Number one, Tracy said that she checks her bank accounts daily. It's a habit formed from running a business and having to tightly manage cash flow. Number two is that she has always measured things, whatever they might be. It might be her net worth or it might be household expenses because you can only manage what you measure. Number three is that she has always had a goal. It has changed over the years, so she's changed the goalpost to suit, but she said that she and her husband have always had something that they are aiming for. And it comes back around to her strategy of, if you are going to get into something, you need to know how to get out of it. She said of money, don't be scared of it, it's just a tool to get you where you want to go, and use it the same as you would use any other tool that you need in life. They now have a net worth of four to four and a half million dollars, depending on what their houses are worth, of course. And they have now entered into a stage where they want to diversify because they are very property heavy and they're considering selling one or two apartments, taking those proceeds and rebalancing their portfolio. They will be releasing equity from their family home when they downsize and this will go into their cash investment, she said. 
A rule of thumb, if you want to work out how much you need to retire, is to times your annual expenses by 25, and this gives you the amount that you need to have invested in earning you a passive income. And by her calculations, they have more than enough. They have more than 25x their annual income available based on a figure of $100,000 a year, which means that they can draw off an income whilst not using up any of their capital. Once their family home is sold in the spring, their youngest wanders off to university and they move into their new smaller home. Their plan is to do some travel, plus they want to focus much more on living a life that incorporates giving back to others. They've done a number of volunteering things over the years, both in New Zealand and occasionally overseas, including with each of their children as they strongly believe that letting your children attend private schools, that they can become entitled. So they have been very careful to give them some pretty big doses of reality from time to time. They feel very strongly about this and may even look into volunteer services abroad while they are fit and strong and able to give back. And now that they are in a position to support themselves, they can do this. One of my final questions was to ask if there was someone in her life with whom she can openly talk about money and are there any resources that she would recommend to you and I. She has a brother, he is on a different journey but is financially successful as well and they can talk very openly but outside of that no not really and she said that she does not quite understand why there is a reluctance around discussing finances. Perhaps it's the fear of being judged, tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand or what have you. She said that everyone she knows has created wealth for themselves, no one has inherited it, they have all gone out and earned it so you just have to be proud as she is of what you have achieved. She said that buying a house is not the game owning that house is and you should be proud of that. Creating wealth and dealing with money is by no means a linear path, heck no, it's a complete mess uh, taking you up hills and down dale, it's not a smooth journey, it's not an easy path and there is no one path. So she said as advice to others, pick a date in the future, where you want to be on that date and build a bridge backwards from there. Unless you develop that plan and talk about it, you're just drifting. And I had to ask after her mental health today, given that for many, it's always an ongoing part of life that just needs maintenance, just like everything else. And she said that it's an area of life that she has to constantly work on as the underlying stresses cannot be resolved simply. So over time, she's developed ways to ensure that she remains resilient and able to respond to all of the challenges that life throws at her. And as for books and blogs and podcasts, what would she recommend? Well, she listens to Choose FI, Afford Anything, Dave Ramsey, they're all American ones, those ones, uh, the New Zealand Everyday Investor, Aussie Firebug, and she really likes uh, the investing in finance ones. And as for books, for someone starting out, you can't go past The Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape or Mary Holm and her book Rich Enough. She said that both have very good step-by-step plans, but these days she tends to read more subject-specific books, ones related to business strategy, marketing or accounting. And she has attended many conferences when the opportunity arose. Plus, she said, don't discount YouTube. You can find anything on there to give you the answers that you are looking for. She said that you should just start listening. Just read and just try anything and everything. You'll learn something each and every time. Now, before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. Thanks again to Hatch for supporting The Happy Saver. Whether you are new to investing or an experienced investor, for the first time Hatch gives Kiwis easy and affordable access to the most recognisable companies via the US share markets. With no minimum investment, fair and transparent fees, they are 100% Kiwi owned and operated and they let you and I invest in the most exciting and recognisable companies in the world. So to easily invest in the largest share markets in the world, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver. 
When I knew I would be speaking with Tracy, I knew that I had to carefully document her journey, helped so much uh, by the fact that she's such an eloquent storyteller. Because if I started with telling you her net worth today, that's all that you might focus on. But she and her family have lived such a life with some huge obstacles in their way. But time and again, through our chat, she said that adversity is a real gift. It gives you resilience and the ability to tap into internal strengths. And once you find them, you know you can get through things that are thrown at you. Their challenges are ongoing um, and have made them really focus on what is important in life and made them constantly check back in to see if they're moving in a direction and a path that they want to go on because they know that time is limited. And since her two oldest children have received their lung transplants, her son is doing fabulously and she said his transplant has been a textbook case of transformation back to a full life of energy and breathing well. Unfortunately, this has not been the case for her daughter and she has had significant complications resulting in complete kidney failure, meaning dialysis three times a week and beginning to navigate the process of a kidney transplant which would be able to give her the life she has dreamed of. Also knowing when to say I have enough is a huge milestone and I'm so delighted for them that they knew when that point would be and when they got there they fired. Financial independence, retire early, they have done it. A huge thanks to Tracy for taking time out on a Sunday morning to speak with me and I had actually finished writing up this podcast while I thought I had when I remembered that Tracy in an offhand way via a text message had told me that she had written a book called Going the Distance written in 2004 and only available on Amazon now and she said I'm told that it's quite interesting. Well I can assure you that indeed it is. She was at pains to point out that she didn't agree to this podcast to promote her book but having read it it does give the backstory as to why they set about becoming self-employed and financially independent as quickly as possible so that they could have the financial resilience to deal with the challenges to come. It was a better option than just floating along and she hopes that by sharing her story others listening to this can better prepare for their own futures. Thank you to Tracy for everything you've done and continue to do to support other people. I finally just wanted to give a couple of links because reading about cystic fibrosis and hearing about her two children who have been and are on waiting lists for donors, it really hit home to me. So you can find more information at cfnz.org.nz and for more information on organ donation, you can visit donor.co.nz. If you would like to donate blood, go to nzblood.co.nz. And her daughter also has a Facebook page where she has been documenting her journey and is spreading awareness. And you can ask to join her on Makana's Journey, which is M-A-K-E-N-A-S, Makana's Journey with new lungs and the search for a new kidney. She is searching for a compatible live kidney donor with a blood group O. And I figured that the more people that know about this, the more chance of finding someone to help. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next week with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I do release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share this with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast. And I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Happy saving.